0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. I committed to preaching the lectionary, and I should have read the first text, because this doesn't feel like Christmas at all, and I wrestled with this hard for a very long time. But I'll read it faithfully. And then I'll explain the damage that this text has caused in my life. Luke 21, verse 25 to 36. And if anybody wanted a baby in a manger, I'm sorry. And Jesus says, And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourself and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Merry Christmas. Love, God. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for perplexing us. We thank you for making us have to wrestle with you to understand something. We thank you that all of your truth is not on the surface, but we have to dig. And in digging, we learn to be more like you. And so I pray right now that you would make preaching easy and that you would make hearing your word a delight to the glory of your name. Amen. You may be seated. This message has caused me to limp. Because there are times where I sit in that office, and I'm trying to figure out what not to say because it just feels so right and so apples of gold and settings of silver. And then there was this one. And I wrestled so hard. I spent most of the time preparing for this message, figuring out what not to say, saying no, crumpling up pieces of paper and throwing them on the floor, not even in the basket anymore, just on the floor in a little infant temper tantrum. And this message injured me. It injured me in some ways that I'll talk about. It injured me in ways I won't talk about. But Bishop Quentin Moore has always said, never trust a pastor who doesn't limp. Never trust a parent who doesn't limp. You can't be a good parent if you're not limping. You can't be a good employee if you're not limping. You can't be a good friend or a good neighbor if you're not limping. If you're not walking around with the marks of Christ beating you down, can't be trusted. Can't be trusted. I feel like I should just preach that for a minute. Jacob walked with a limp, and then he was called Israel. We have to wrestle until he hurts us. Because God does not delight in the strength of the war horse, but he delights in those who hope in him. And unless you're limping, you can't hope in him. Unless one of your legs is broke by God, you'll trust too much in yourself. There has to be moments where he injures us. There has to be moments where the answer you're looking for isn't on the surface. You have to dig and get hurt. And somewhere in that digging and wrestling with God and having him take out your hip socket, you'll find him and he'll give you a new name you'll find yourself in your brokenness. This is why Paul says, I determined to preach nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. When I'm weak, he is strong. I'll preach the foolishness of the gospel because it's wiser than the wisdom of men. If we're not inhabiting that reality from time to time, he's not always like that, but there's times where he's going to break you down and you have to let him. So I wrestled with this text. Wrestled because Yeah, who wants to hear that when you put up your Christmas tree and then Jesus talking about perplexity and people foreboding and stars falling out of heaven? And, you know, give me the baby in the manger, please. Give me some nice nice warm and fuzzies. Anyone? Am I the only one? But then I realized, you know what? Jesus tells all of us that I'm leaving and I'm going to come back. But before I come back, hell is going to break loose. And I thought, maybe this is how Mary must have felt. When God says, I'm going to put my son in your belly, and it's not going to happen by Joseph. And he's going to be destined for the rise and for the fall of many. And so she spends her whole life in the perplexity that this verse gave me for one week. She spends her whole life wondering, what is this thing that has happened to me? And then when she has him, who is this boy that has happened to me? And when he becomes a man, I think the movie, The Passion of the Christ, uh, among, among many things that it got right, I think that one part it really got right was at one point, Jesus is getting flogged and Mary says in the movie, when did you ever deliver yourself up to this? Perplexed and confused. I watched that Netflix animated movie, Star, where like all the, if you have kids, maybe hopefully you showed it to them, like all the animals are talking and stuff. And no matter if it's some young children's show or whether it's these texts, Jesus is complicated. He's confusing. He presses on you. And I'm I'm a Christmas junkie. Like, I really want to start playing Christmas music in September. My wife won't let me. I really want to start like sneaking it in there in October, but she, a little bit looser on that, but still like gives me that look like I'm better than you. Like when I try to do stuff like that, once Halloween is done and we get Satan out of the way, I'm playing Christmas music. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody says. Once, once the devil is out of the way, it's Christmas time for me. What better way to celebrate Thanksgiving than talking about Jesus anyhow, right? Am I right? Try to tell me not to play it in November. We got to have, we got to be inside the edges my Christmas edges are huge. So the Monday before Thanksgiving, we have this day where we stand there, or I stand there, and I say, where is the tree going to go? Measuring tape, looking around, like angles and, you know, prisms and stuff. I don't know. And, and we say, okay, let's move the couch. Because I think maybe I want the tree to go here. And we move the couch and we realize, oh, God, we have a daughter and we haven't swept in a really long time. There's a whole box of cereal pretty much under there, all assorted kinds. There's the binky. It looks disgusting now. There's a peanut. Like, okay. And so we're like, all right, we have to sweep. And then we sweep. And then it's like, okay, well, the living room looks good now. We really should do the kitchen. Great. Great. So we do the kitchen. Then Jacqueline's realizing, well, we got to get the Christmas stuff up from the basement. Can you go please reorganize the basement? I haven't touched it since we moved into the house. So a whole day, listening to Bing Crosby, by the way, goes to the basement. And, you know, you really, you always get along when you're cleaning, right? All of that... Because we're bringing a tree of life into our home. It takes up space. It makes you have to do things you don't want to do. If you're doing Christmas well, the tree, the idea, and the essence that you're trying to capture takes work. And so much of our lives is wanting Jesus to come in without having to sweep under the couch. So much of our life is wanting Jesus to come in and just shine his light so brightly that you can't see the mess. But as you're preparing for his return, as you're preparing for his entrance into our lives during Christmas, there has to be some cleaning that takes place because something about the entrance of Christ shows you what needs to be put back in order. And so Christmas becomes profoundly Interesting, I went to Washington, DC the day after Thanksgiving, and I walked around uh, you know the Capitol area with my father-in-law, and it was really weird because I've never been to Washington, DC before. And so I'm standing in this place that I've only seen on TV. And for a minute, it really was like fairy tale-ish to me. Like, oh my god, there's the Capitol building, there's the White House. Like this is this is surreal to be standing like feet from where all these things take place. But then like you see people walking in, like going to work with briefcases and stuff, and you realize like this is just a gigantic office park, like the one behind Walmart, just a lot nicer and has way more drama. And so there was this combination, hear me, there was this combination of awe and like majesty, like, oh my gosh, this is where it all goes down. And then there was this like underwhelming sense that it's, it's a big office park and this is like America's office. Like these are just huge cubicles that people come to and they sit there and they run the country. And it was like simultaneous awe and right, people are coming to work. And I feel like that's how Christmas needs to be. There's a part of it that has to strike you. There's a part of it that has to take your breath away. There's a part of it that has to be almost nicer than every other season of the year. And then there's a part of it that has to tell us it's December, but January's coming. And if I celebrate Christmas well, I will enter January better than if I didn't celebrate Christmas at all. There should be no letdown amongst Christians in January because we should be celebrating this holiday in an Advent way, not just a cultural way. All the warm and fuzzies, but for a purpose— all the decorations, but for a remission. We're not removing them. I'm not going to turn Christmas into a punching bag. We have to celebrate it. We have to inhabit what our culture has done because we rail on culture from the pulpit. But I think, personally, I think culture got this one right. I think we celebrate Christmas very well. And the reason why I think we do is not just because it's my favorite holiday and I have a microphone so I can advocate for it however I want. Part of it is because it's a season that is celebrated in anticipation. All but one day is celebrated in anticipation. All but one day is celebrated hoping for something, looking forward to something that is not but that is coming, and that is the Christian life on earth. We decorate darkness until the day that the light shines so bright you don't even need a sun or a moon. That's why Jesus says they'll fall from heaven, because when I come back, you don't need them anymore that's Christmas. Advent is not Lent. We don't have to celebrate it crying. We have 40 days to do that in a few months. Lent is the time that we stop and we realize there's still brokenness in the world and we lament it. But Advent is not Lent. Advent is when we celebrate a burst of light that we didn't know was coming but showed up anyway. I heard of you bang the pulpit sometimes. It like has like... I also don't want to knock over our... Advent wreath and set the church on fire. I want it to be set on fire tomorrow night. Good. I'm glad we agree. So there are three Advents. Let's just get this history lesson out of the way real fast. There are three Advents that we celebrate. And I want to start by saying this. Here's a simple way to understand what Advent is. I hated the summer for most of my life until I met my wife. She loves the summer, and it has now become my second favorite season of the year, which is saying something. That I love you, because summer went from my least favorite to my second favorite. The fall is my favorite. I can't. I just can't. But I'm looking for some support from somebody to help me. Here's why I love summertime, because Jacqueline loves going to Ocean City with her family. It's a long tradition, and I've gotten the privilege of jumping in on it. And it's, it is really a time of Sabbath and fun and craziness where we drink water and all different kinds of things and have a really good time. And usually what happens, usually what happens is somewhere when it's bitterly cold out in February, and it's horrible, except for your birthday, and Valentine's Day. But I don't need Valentine's Day because I love you all the time anyway. We start texting about how much fun we had last year at Ocean City. Remember when Bill did this? Remember when Bill did that? Remember? And what we're doing is really interesting. What we're doing is we're adventing, because watch, we're standing in February. We're remembering Ocean City last year so that we can wait for the ocean city that's coming better. So we're standing in this present moment of bitterly cold blah. We're remembering something that we knew happened so that we can imagine something that is going to happen. That's what we do during Advent. We stand in this present darkness. We remember that light bursted into the world in the form of that baby Jesus. And it helps us wait for his return that he announced in this text. That's why the church gave us that text today, because the church started us with Jesus saying, I will return. That's the final advent. So we stand in this moment where Jesus leaves us, and we're waiting for him to come back. And so what do we do? We remember when he came the first time, and we talk about it. So that we can stand in this cold and imagine him returning better. So there are three advents. That happen in our life. The first advent, advent number one, is God returning to the earth in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And we say returning because when God came the first time at Mount Sinai, he wasn't returning. That was, he was showing up. That was him inhabiting the earth. Then for 400 years he pulls back and there's no, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's no word. And then he returns in the form of Jesus That's Advent number one. That's why we say in the Nicene Creed, God became incarnate from the Virgin Mary. He became incarnate. He always was, but he became in the flesh. He came in the flesh in the Virgin Mary. That's Advent number one. Advent number two is God returns in services, sacraments, and settings. And here's what I mean. Exodus 19, verse 9 to 12 says this. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. Hello. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Thank you, God. God's saying, set limits. Don't let them come into my presence. But now watch what John says in 1 John. That which was from the beginning... Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. This is where we get our creeds from. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. One second He's saying, set limits, and you can't come near me. You can't touch me like MC Hammer. He's saying, don't touch this. You'll die. And all of a sudden, John is saying, we've seen him, and we've touched him, and we're here to write about it. Because he came the first time in the flesh, we can now have the second advent happen to us all the time. The second advent is when he shows up in services. How many were here for worship service this morning? Did he return to this room this morning? He shows up in the sacraments. He shows up when people get baptized. He shows up when we come to the Lord's table. He shows up when we have a wedding ceremony. He shows up when we lay hands on the sick, even if they don't get healed. He shows up. We have to always remember that. He shows up in the sacraments. I remember when I got ordained. Ordination is one of the sacraments. I felt them like I've never felt them before. Sweating so much. He shows up in settings. Have you ever been in your car and felt the wind of the Holy Spirit blow in? Have you ever been ranting and raving, confused, not knowing what's going on, and all of a sudden you have clarity? Have you ever thought, the minute I see this person, I'm going to say it, and then you saw them and you said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the return of Christ all the time. This is the second advent happening all the time. Because the first one happened... The second one can happen in part until the third one finally happens. And the third one is God will return and restore all things. We have the first advent to remind us that he came once and so he's faithful to come again. And we have those second mini-advents all the time when he shows up to let us know, even though, and only God can say this because he's not limited to space, I'm with you and I'm coming. Only God can say that. I'm here and I'm still going to return. And then we wait well for the final Advent. Bonhoeffer, writing from, as a hostage from a Nazi prison camp, writes to his parents on the first Sunday of Advent and says, I remember lighting the Advent wreath with you, and this year I'm not there, but we must celebrate Christmas despite the ruins around us. That's what I experienced in the house when we brought the tree in that day. That even though, like, you ever, you ever realize when you try to deep clean, it's just the house feels messier to you because you'll just never clean everything? It sh- Christmas came into the house anyway. Christmas shows up no matter what kind of year you had, whether you have money or you're broke, whether you're sick or you're healthy, whether the marriage is great or it's weak, whether you're lonely or you have a great social network, Christmas comes anyway, and it decorates all of it. Listen to me very carefully. Christmas gives us so much hope that when things go perfectly well, we say there's still something better coming and we don't get lost in the well. The gospel gives us so much hope that the best thing that can happen to us doesn't satisfy because we're waiting for something greater. If I was preaching in a third world country, that part wouldn't matter to them. The second part would. Christmas gives us so much hope that when the worst things happen, we know that something better is coming. But the problem is in this country, we are so blessed, that second part isn't really for us. We sit here so blessed, and we get so caught and entangled in our blessings that we forget to hope because sometimes we actually deep down feel like we don't need to. We need to. Because the best thing happening is only happening in part. There's a fullness coming. And if your life is so blessed, like mine is, that it's a struggle to hope, I don't struggle to hope for myself. I struggle to hope because if I don't learn to hope in the midst of my blessings, I'll never be able to be there for my neighbor in the midst of their poverty. Which means I will miss touching the skin of Christ who shows up in the poor. Y'all can go home. This text is Jesus telling us that he's waiting to return. It's all about us having to wait, but Jesus is there, and Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. So imagine this. Every time you read about Jesus, you're reading about God himself. If you ever want to know what God is like, God is like Jesus. Everything Jesus does is the full revelation of who the Father is. So all of God's confusing realities in the Old Testament, they're made clear in the person of Jesus. So here's the reality. If Jesus is saying, I'm here, I'm leaving, and then I'm going to come back. What Jesus is saying is, I'm leaving and then I'm going to wait. Yes? Which means God waits. Which means that waiting is not something that's the result of sin. It's something that's the result of the character of God himself. In a perfect world, in paradise, with nothing having ever gone wrong, God will wait because that's what Jesus does. Jesus waits because God waits. So when you refuse to wait, you refuse to interact with the presence of God. And when you submit to waiting, you're submitting to the presence of God. God purposely, because of his character, not because of our sin, but because of who he is and his infinite wisdom, stretches out time and waits. If you read 1 Peter chapter 3... Peter launches into that famous verse that says, you know, a thousand years on earth is like one day in heaven. And when you read it carefully, he's talking about waiting. And he's letting you know that waiting for God is different than waiting for you. God does things in waiting. Like for us, when we wait, nothing is happening. But God is very active in waiting. God would rather us wait in the tensions of hope then stand in the surety of resolve. The best life that we can live is a life where we're waiting in the tension of hope, not in the certainty of resolve. The best life we can live. Why do I know that? Because that's the life God left us with. If God left us with a different kind of life, then I would say that that's the best kind of life. Jesus waited, so when we have to wait, we're doing what God does. Now, we don't like that very much. Jesus loved it because he was God, so he had a slight advantage, I would say. But he's given us his spirit, which is his advantage, given to us so that we can wait. I'm going to skip ahead of my notes because I feel like I need to press this point a little bit, and I'm not going to burst into flames on that. I came down to this step. My wife is very concerned that I don't burst into flames, which actually makes me happy the parable of the 10 virgins five of them have enough oil five of them don't jesus tells this parable so again this is coming from the heart of god every time you read a parable you're hearing a story that god would tell maybe i'm a dork but that's amazing to me this is this is god telling a story like my dad was a great storyteller zipper the squirrel i remember it to this day i remember it cuz you're a great storyteller This is God telling a story. And he says, there's ten virgins. All we need to know about that is that here's ten very, very pure, very, very right people. They got life right. And they're waiting for the bridegroom. And he delays. Why? Because God waits. Every parable of Jesus has to do with somebody delaying. Every parable of Jesus, mustard seed, you have to wait. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. You have to wait. Like a man who went on a journey, you have to wait. Like ten virgins who were waiting for the bridegroom and he was delayed, they have to wait. Five of them had enough oil and five of them didn't. And watch this. When Jesus meets the five who didn't, he says, I never knew you. So put this together. How we wait is dependent on oil. And oil is the Holy Spirit. So the only way we can ever wait is if we have enough of the Holy Spirit leading to intimacy, which is why Jesus said to the five who didn't have the oil, I never knew you. There's an intimacy that the Holy Spirit gives us in times of waiting that, watch this, cause us to get to the right place. But then when we have to wait, the right place consistently begins to feel like the wrong place. And when you feel like the right place is the wrong place, you need the oil of the Holy Spirit and intimacy with Christ to realize that what feels like the wrong place is actually the right place. Waiting teaches you that, and that's why the five virgins don't give their oil to the others. They say, go and get it, because you can give a lot of things, but you can't give intimacy with God. You just have to encourage other people to go get it. If that story comes up in this year, I'm going to be able to take that Sunday off, because I just said all things. Watch how God waits. Luke chapter 2, Christmas verse for everybody. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Nice. Same gospel, 21 chapters later. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb. Mary wraps the baby in swaddling cloths and puts him in a manger Joseph of Arimathea wraps that baby become a man in a shroud and puts him in a tomb two of the most significant events in the life of God is Jesus being wrapped in swaddling cloths and being put in a manger and then everybody having to wait to see what will become of him and then in the other most significant part of his life he's wrapped in a shroud and he's put in a tomb and everybody's left to wait to see what will become of him Something in your life is wrapped in swaddling cloths or a shroud, and all you can do is wait to see what becomes of it. But when you wait, that's the only place you'll ever meet God. Waiting is the only place you'll ever meet him because God sent the Holy Spirit to us to be his presence in our life while we wait for Jesus. So, it's only ever in waiting that we'll receive anything from God. The Bible was given to us in waiting. The creeds were given to us in waiting. The church was created for us in waiting. The church was created so that we could wait faithfully. That's what we're practicing in Advent. We're practicing how to anticipate and hope. So, we can wait inside the edges or we can wait outside the edges. Waiting outside the edges, waiting without the Holy Spirit, produces restlessness, produces boredom, produces the desire to constantly have to change, produces overt busyness. Yes, there's a busyness that's sinful. And I know I'm saying this to an overworked culture. And I know that it's so much easier to throw this out there than it is to apply it, but here's the reality. If we're so busy we can't stop for two seconds to see the snow falling outside, there's a problem. If we're so, bu- I'm going to preach on it in a second. So, And then with extreme busyness comes extreme idleness. There's that sense where we're so tired of waiting that we start trying to create our own movement and we work too much. And then there's that sense where we're so tired of doing that we just stop doing anything at all. But then there's the oil. There's intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And that's waiting inside the edges. And waiting inside the edges turns restlessness into hope. It turns boredom into enjoyment. It turns the need to constantly change into the peace of being content. And it takes busyness and it takes idleness, two extremes. And it gives us the daily and the weekly Sabbath rest. And I say daily and weekly because I think most of us have gotten one day a week right. But I think that we don't take even five or ten minutes daily to relax and enjoy something. We'll rush home from work. We'll throw our clothes and put on our pajamas. We'll leave dishes in the sink. We'll say we're too busy for all that stuff and we'll jump in bed and then we'll spend 45 minutes on our phone. Or we'll binge a couple... Office episodes on Netflix. <laughs> there has to be time even during the day. It doesn't need to be forever. It doesn't need to be a long time. See, we fall into this rut where we finally say, you know, I'm going to start doing something different, and then we go to an extreme that burns us out. I don't go to the gym. I'm going to start going to the gym 18 times a day. No. <laughs> no. No. Walk for 30 minutes once a week. Start there. (laughs) Little rests during the day. Enjoy your family for a minute. Even if it's the quick coming and going. Stop everybody for a minute and just, I love you. Just want you to know I love you. That's it. That's a Sabbath rest. Learning to wait helps us. You ready? Ready? Learning to wait helps us to leave things undone so that we can enjoy for a minute. Life will never be done. You'll never be done working. The house will never be clean, the bills will never be paid. When, once you become an adult and like summer vacation's not a thing anymore. I remember, like when I graduated high school, there was that first realization like, "Oh my gosh, this place wants me to work in the summer?" That's what the millennials are saying now, bang, got them. Yes. Yes! We have to find time in the middle of the day and once a week, like we're all doing right now, to Sabbath. And yes, no one works the 9 to 5 anymore. I get it. Be creative. God is not judging you if you can't get here because you got to work. He's judging you if you can't get here because you're lazy. I was saying a lot of encouraging things, so I needed to balance that out. How do we live inside the edges? How do we actually do it? Joan Chittister I'm, I practice pronouncing her name, she said, faith is living in the reality by virtue of the promise. Faith is living in reality by virtue of promise. Faith and hope and love are all things that at the moment are open-ended. And you say, well, I understand how faith can be open-ended because you're we're waiting for it. And we understand how hope can be open-ended because if hope is hope, then that means we're still waiting for something. But love is open-ended because until Jesus comes back, anything that we love might not show us love in return. Have you... My brain. So, like I said, it's a carnival in there sometimes. When you love, You risk. Until Jesus comes, when Jesus comes back, we will be able to love with no more risk of getting hurt. But until then, we love at risk. Everything is open ended. Faith, hope, and love are open ended. Faith is living in the reality by virtue of the promise. Advent turns waiting into hope. So how do we wait for it? Let's look at the three things Jesus said real fast. First, he says this, And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. So Jesus is saying, As you start to see the signs of my return, dance. That's my paraphrase. Straighten up. Lift up your head. Have hope. Rejoice. Because when things are falling apart around you, here's the reality. I'm coming back. And we had this moment. If you were here on the Thanksgiving Eve service, Desiree, don't go crazy because this still means something to us. There was a moment where we almost stopped the dance because everybody on the dance team was sick. And the dance team almost killed me for suggesting that we stop the dance. I almost didn't come back up for that service. I was terrified. I prayed. They thought I was praying for the dance, but I was praying that I'd be able to escape the room downstairs. Terrifying. And they danced. And before they danced, God gave me a word and said, when you see the dance team dance, understand this is what the Trinity is doing all the time in your life, regardless of what you're facing. It's always dancing. And then there was prophetic moments. The song Desiree picked was a song that Danielle Arstead sent to Pastor Mark in the middle of the night. That night, the night before. These connections are not accidents. Jesus is saying when the world is falling apart, there has to be a dance in you because there's a dance in me. Fight to have fun. Fight to enjoy yourself. Don't be content just getting done with the day and going to bed. Don't do that. I don't care how much money you have or don't have. I don't care how many decorations are up in your house or not. Don't be a curmudgeon. Don't be boring. Don't be stale and just go to bed. Do something. Have fun each day, every day. Do one fun thing to remind yourself that your redemption is coming. Do one fun thing. Make somebody laugh. Do something. Please, God, Jesus was not boring. Don't get caught in that work and sleep cycle. Don't get stuck in the, oh, it's Monday. So what? Have fun. Do something fun. Everybody's going to lose their job. And... <laughs> no tithes on Tuesday. Like Dancing is the posture of the kingdom of God. The second thing Jesus tells us is this. He launches into a story. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig trees and all the leaves. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourself and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know the kingdom of God is near. Watch what Jesus does. He's a genius. He starts with a nice parable. He says, when you see the buds on the leaves, you know that summer is coming. We can all receive that. And then he says, so when you see these things you know that I'm coming. But what things is he talking about? He's talking about perplexity, war, rumors of wars, moms rising up against daughters and all the things that he predicts. But they seem like terrible things. When he told the parable over here, he said, when you see flowers start to form on the trees you know that summer's coming. And you're like, oh, I can't wait to hear what he's going to say next. It's going to be great. So when you see everybody starting to kill each other and politicians going crazy and racism and the breakdown of reality and capitalism going awry and fighting and murder and too many people on Facebook for way too long, when you see all these things start to happen, it's the tree blossoming. Wait, are we supposed to see those things as good? No. Ooh, but when I come back, I'm coming back to all those moments that are past for you. Everything that was a weed is going to turn into a flower. Everything that was dead is going to come to life again. Unless a grain of seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it falls into the ground and dies, it produces much fruit. So Jesus is saying, everything that you see as destruction going to the ground, one day it's going to come up like it was the greatest springtime you could ever possibly imagine. So first we dance, and second we discern. Stop speaking DNA into the brokenness that is complaining and cynical and toxic. When you see brokenness, when brokenness is done to you, when brokenness is done in the presence of you, when you turn on the TV anywhere and see brokenness, Don't start complaining and speaking that DNA into it because the broken seeds that are falling apart around us, God is speaking a DNA of resurrection into them. So we should be speaking like God spoke. After all, Jesus was the word. Jesus is how God speaks. So when it starts to fall apart in your life, understand those seeds of brokenness that are going into the ground, there's springtime coming. Discern it and reinterpret it. That's what we're here to do. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls. Nobody knows what's going on. And Peter says, famous phrase, he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. We know that verse? The first thing that anybody says by way of sermon in the Holy Spirit is this is that. What does that mean? That means that when the Holy Spirit shows up, one of the first things he does is he gives new meaning to something that's confusing. So when you function in the Spirit and your kids are confused about who they are, your identity is confused about what it is, the world around you, you're confused about why you're here, you're confused. When the Holy Spirit shows up, this is that. Discern and reinterpret while you wait. Will your language match up to the final resurrection that God has planned? Mine won't, just so everybody knows. (laughs) Put myself out there first. Just in case everyone thought that was a rhetorical question, when Jesus shows up, I'm going to be like, um, he's going to be like, so every careless word that you spoke, Bill. (sighs) We're going to be here for a while, God. Like, I don't know how much time you have, but almost everything I said was careless. But even those will somehow be turned to flower. That doesn't make us excited. I don't know what will. Merry Christmas. And then the final thing he says to do is to pray. Watch, pray, and stay awake. Depend. We dance, we discern, and we depend. Dependence is the foundation of the kingdom. Christmas cannot be spent in a numbing way. We cannot use Christmas to feel good about a year that was bad. We cannot use the lights and the hot chocolate and the dumb Hallmark movies that I've watched 18 of They're all the same thing. You want to just say at the beginning, you love each other. (laughs) This could be a 10-minute show. Stop playing. You love each other. You're rich. He's not. You still love each other. Done. Just rip off these Hallmark movies, one right after the other. When all of that stuff is happening and we're laughing and enjoying all of it, it's for January. It's for January. It's for January. Invest in those moments. Don't spend them. Don't spend that time. Invest that time. Get into that time and store something up for January, for the rest of the year, for the brokenness that's still gonna be there. Let me say on Good Friday, it's Friday, but Sundays. Well, it's December, but January's coming. I'll be the Grinch. It's December, but January's coming whether we like it or not. And depending on how we celebrate Christmas will depend on how we receive January. We have to receive January dependent on God the way we are right now, receiving Him into our homes the way we put up trees, even fake ones. I know we have to put up fake trees sometimes. I won't preach about that. Let's stand to our feet. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.